Hello and welcome to the Safety 3 podcast where we look at occupational health and safety from all angles. Safety for you, safety for me and safety of systems of work. I'm here with my co-host Chris Grant who's an exercise physiologist with more than 20 years experience in manual handling in the private practice. My name is Silky Hutchinson-Bush and I have 20 plus years experience in safety and well-being across varying industries. Welcome to our podcast. Stories and cases referred to in the podcast are for general discussion and do not reflect on current or past workplaces. Topics are for general interest and are not considered as legal advice. And Silky, so tell us why have we put this podcast together? There is not enough information there for ordinary workers, I feel, out in the workplace. And what I'd like to do is educate the everyday person into what may happen to them at work. So, Chris, have you ever considered that your ordinary working day might start out with you getting out of bed in the morning and at the end of the day you're facing a major prosecution and it changes your life forever? Yeah, no, I've never actually thought about the consequences of anything like that. So a lot of workplaces put their workers into positions where they have to make decisions throughout the day and those decisions quite often go wrong for various reasons. So statistically, a worker gets killed every two days in Australia. That's a horrific uh, statistic for any country and, you know, Australia is probably one of the better countries. There are countries with worse statistics. However, what are the implications of a fatality at work or a serious injury? Those statistics are much, much higher where you have someone being seriously injured probably once every four seconds statistics. Mm. So the numbers are quite high and we place workers into positions where they're forced to make a decision about themselves and others in the workplace that aren't always the smartest decisions. Well, do you have an example for us in regards to what something would be classed as a as a pressured position? Look, what about the poor person who needs to make a decision in the morning about whether or not it's safe to use a piece of equipment, whether or not it's safe to drive that vehicle? Is it roadworthy? Can you say no? Most people are too scared to say no in an everyday environment. Yeah, so, so what would be the consequences of um, someone who just ignores the sort of rules and regulations in regards to OH&S safety? And what are some of the worst things that a person could experience that afternoon if they've decided to go with, you know, a um, make, a, make a, a willful, a knowingly willful decision to endanger or harm someone? Well, look, that person who willingly made that decision can end up with a a manslaughter or something called a Category 1 or Category 2 charge. Now, a Category 1 charge is just the lesser charge of manslaughter and it involves recklessness. If you make reckless decisions in your working space, as an individual, you can be charged and face a prosecution of five years imprisonment or $600,000. And that's not to mention the half a million dollars it's going to cost you to defend yourself in court. Mm. So is there an example out there? Do we have one? Do we have one rolling around off the top of our head? Yes, look, there there was one last year, actually, uh, involved the Canberra Hospital where a crane driver um, was asked to lift a generator. And unfortunately, 
the process ended up in a fatality of another crane driver. So this poor person, while it happened in 2016, he uh, he's facing a prosecution. He's just been sentenced to uh, 20 months imprisonment. Mm. Um, that was a suspended sentence, but it only got suspended because of his early guilty plea. He was charged for a Category 1 instead of manslaughter. And um, for his cooperation, he was rewarded for having a suspended sentence, if you like, so no prison term, but he does have a good behaviour sentencing on him So for the next 12 months. So if anything were to happen within that 12 months, he would uh, not only serve that criminal prosecution, but also the 12 months that he's supposed to serve for this criminal prosecution. So um, would you have ever thought that your day can start off normally at 6.30, uh, in the morning, and by six o'clock at night, that or or seven o'clock that night, you've actually killed a person. So he's gone from work at about six thirty in the morning, and twelve hours later, there's been an accident on a job site where a crane has fallen on an individual, has killed them, and now the crane driver had a manslaughter charge brought against him. So. What are the circumstances before that decision was made for him to drive that crane? Was there an opportunity for him to say no? And if so, who's who's accountable for that or who is responsible? And when is it safe for an employee to actually say, no, I don't want to do this. I think it's unsafe and I don't risk, I don't want to risk losing my job. So where is that, where is that barrier that is, that is brought in? Where can an employee feel safe enough to stand up and go to someone, no. I think if, you, if we're looking at this particular case at Canberra Hospital, we need to get back and nominate some of the facts first up. So sure. this uh, crane driver, uh, let's call him Bill for the, for the sake of a name. So Bill turns up to work in the morning and he goes, okay, normal, normal day. I take the crane out, do my lifts and return to the yard at 4pm. At 4pm, I the yard supervisor says to me, look, I've got one more lift for you today to do and you're going to go out to the Canberra Hospital site and do the lift there, move a generator about 50 metres and you're done for the day. Take the crane, but don't forget to take the counterweight because the generator itself weighs 10.3 tonnes. Crane's power to either... 10 tons or 25 tons if you like so that's the equipment itself so but backtracking to the person uh, he's now worked a, a normal day from 6 30 to 4 so he's then asked to do overtime by doing this one more lift it was during august so you also you were in the middle of winter basically mm. so you know your daylight hours are not like you have in summer where it's still daylight at nine o'clock at yeah. night So, you know, and the circumstances around this particular case, um, worker turns up to the Canberra Hospital site and, look, we won't name the construction companies because this still... This thing's still being prosecuted five years later. That's a good idea. Um, you know, yeah. So I'm not going to. And it's tragedy to everyone involved in that sense tra- too. It is tragic yeah. for all involved, but you know, this poor worker himself is licensed to operate. He's 44 years old, father of two, just moved to the state, and he's been em- employed by this company for about six weeks. So he's only there as a casual employee. 
he hasn't really been trained or inducted. Aside from a basic uh, safety induction, he's received no other training from this company. So, you know, let's, let's put this in perspective. So this man now rocks up at the Canberra Hospital site and goes, okay, I've had a look at the equipment. Oh, by the way, I haven't been inducted to the site, so can you do a site induction for me? He knows all the right things. And did they give him a site induction? No, they didn't. No site induction was given because we were losing daylight. Yep. By five o'clock, we are starting. So, you know, this is around... It's what's been nearly 11 hours now. So, yeah, this is now the five o'clock mark. So, you know, he's he's getting tired, this bloke. So he Mm. may not be making the right, the the smartest decisions in life. Yeah. Right? So, and similarly with the dogman. So the dogman's been, you know, working together. They've been working together all day since 6.30 this, yep. that morning. And, you know, so he actually physically tells the construction company supervisor that he believes it's the wrong equipment for the task. So he suggests another piece of equipment that is sitting back in the yard, which would be more appropriate for the task. The task in itself is moving a generator about 50 metres across the site, but it can't go in a direct line. So it ends up being close to 600 metres that the crane driver is being asked to carry a 10-tonne. So just let me understand this. It's a 10-tonne crane where they pick, or a 10-tonne crane that's got to pick up a 10-tonne generator and he's now got to drive it in the dark around 600 metres at night with probably one light on it. Is that about right? With, 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 with no um, safety, uh, no, uh, what was the thing you called it before? A um, risk, assessment. risk assessment done, and he didn't do any job, about, and he didn't do a site evaluation when he got in there either. Correct. So wow. what normally happens when someone uh, attends site for the first time, they do a site induction, particularly in a large construction site. It's very rare for them not to do an induction when they're about to perform a high-risk task. Mm. So there was no formal risk assessment done for this task. There was no lifting plan, so normally when you operate a crane, you have to have a lifting plan, which the site itself approves of. So they cite the plan and go to make sure it's a safe lift yep. or a controlled lift, yep. and none of that was done. So we're now at 5 o'clock starting to lose daylight, yep. <clears throat> and while the crane operator does not believe that it is a safe lift to do, he tries to then contact his site supervisor out of hours, who doesn't pick up the phone. Wow. So, and he rings him more than once. So, you know, the site supervisor should have realized that there is something wrong and I need to pick up this phone. Yep. Because over the space of an hour, this guy tries to ring his supervisor three times to try and stop the lift. Wow. Because he doesn't feel comfortable yeah. doing it. And so he, he spoke about this to the company in question that was asking him to do this. And they just were forcing him to actually still keep going along. They didn't give him an out at all? They didn't say no, maybe, or... Look, the reason why they said the uh, you can't use the more appropriate equipment was that it was too costly for starters. And too time-consuming to stop. Go back and get the other bigger crane and come back. they wanted the generator moved closer to what they call the tower crane. And all these people were on site. The tower crane operator was on site. The 
the tower crane dogman was on site. So you didn't have unexperienced people on site. Mm. You had the site supervisor who was experienced in construction work. This particular crane driver who was supposed to move this equipment has had more than 120 hours experience to drive a crane. So he, he wasn't a, a fly-by-nighter operator. He had a, an wow. exceptional yep. safety record. Yep. But he's only been working at this company for six weeks. So he's gone from Queensland to the ACT and, you know, job security wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, on and a I... previous occasion with the company, he had stopped a job under the dogman um, because he felt it was unsafe. The company had lost that contract, so the pressure was on him not to make those kind of calls again. Yeah, so he's under a bit of pressure already to actually just keep his mouth shut in that sense and just do the job. Correct. So he's not the person that normally works for this construction site. So while they've been contracted to this construction site for a while of the crane company, it's not the regular driver. And the regular driver of this crane actually expressed a concern that that piece of equipment is not suitable to lift that generator. And did that crane driver know this? No, he didn't. So he was not actually told that the other crane driver, the regular crane driver, did not feel that it was a safe lift to do. Wow. So he's literally pushed into a corner, both himself because of work-related issues, telling someone else prior to that that they didn't, that you know, pulling the company up previously, and now it's late, and now he wants to get home, and now all of a sudden he's got to do this one last lift, and he's just pretty much got to, feels like he's got to shut his mouth just to go and get it done. He does. So, you know, he tries to actually do all the right things where he contacts the supervisor. So he tries to make contact with the company. He tries to, attempts to read the manual mm. to see whether there's a capability. Uh, he's never been trained on how to attach the piece of equipment that turns the crane into a 25-ton train through a counterweight. Yep. So while he has attached it and believes that the train has now got a capability of lifting 25 tons the the real kicker on this because he's never been trained that if this counterweight is not fitted correctly you may as well not fit it at all because the crane will not operate in the 25 ton mode so you're still trying to lift a piece of equipment outside of its power range wow and is that what happened in this case it's what happened in this case. So neither the dogman or the crane operator actually knew how to fit the counterweight to the crane. So they actually fitted it in reverse, making it virtually useless. Mm. And then operating a crane with a, a warning system to it, to outside of its specification to, in the end, 130% outside of its weight capacity. So, so this is a warning signal that if he's lifting it too heavy or it's out of balance or it's on uneven ground, a signal will go off and it'll indicate to the driver that there is something wrong, that there is present danger occurring and that he should shut it down or put it down or turn off the machine. So there is that system there that we're saying he ignored that. Is that correct? He did. He actually overrode the safety system on three occasions where the alarms went off to tell him that your crane has moved out of its um, specification, out of its safe lifting zone and is not capable to do this lift. So, um, and that can be due to terrain, it can be due to uh, the, the, the angle that the piece of equipment is being lifted at, 
or alternatively because it's just too heavy. Now once you fitted all the lifting equipment, the slings and all of that and the shackles to lift this piece of equipment, it actually weighed around the 11 and a half tonne. So you're now actually using a 10 ton yeah. crane to lift 11 and a half tons. So, you know, you're behind the eight ball before you even start. Hmm. So, and he operated this crane for approximately 50 minutes before it toppled over, killing the uh, tower crane driver because they were in the vicinity of, of the... Of the um, generator while it was moving so let me just paint this picture again for myself and for people listening is it's six o'clock at night you've got the guy driving the crane and lifting 12 ton or 11 ton sorry and there's four people stabilizing it it's been lifted around about a meter and a half off the ground mm -hmm. and he's and he's driving around about 600 meters to get to to unload this uh, 11 ton generator and he's been driving for 48 minutes roughly, and three times the warning signal goes off before there is a major accident. Correct. So uh, not only that, there was poor lighting, so poor terrain, so the, there was unsteady ground. Now the reason why he couldn't do the 50 uh, metre lift in a straight line was because there was the uh, possibility of doing damage to previously installed drainage. So that was their cost concern. If you, if you take the, short, the shortest route, then uh, you will damage our drains. So again, it's a cost factor that the company, the construction company has made a conscious decision to protect the, the underground infrastructure as to oppose to the safety and the shortest route of travel for the crane. Okay, so now as an employee and you've gone to work and this has happened to you, who is accountable? Who are the courts saying is at fault? Is it one person? Is it three? Because I think on this job site there was the crane and there's about five or six people. So any one of these people could have stopped this from happening. So who's accountable for this? Well, look, normally you're all accountable and responsible for the tasks that and the decisions that you make. So when you normally start at a company in induction, the first thing you get is you are accountable and responsible for your own safety and the safety of others while operating our equipment. So, you know, this whole accountability, due diligence, you know, it is your responsibility to say no, you're the high risk license operator. But in reality, is that actually something that we aspire to or is it something that's possible? Because remember, this guy has already picked up a safety concern in the weeks before this accident and he got canned for it, if you like. So, you know, he, he got reprimanded for doing it and they lost the contract over it. So, you know, are you as a, as a new employee or as a contracted employee going to have a second crack at saying no? Well, I think, you, I think in most cases you would do your best, but I think most of us, most of us would actually uh, sit down and think about it and go, well, I'm going to have to do this anyway because I've got to do my job. I'll just make sure I do it safe, as safely as I can. Correct. And, you know, and this is what I was saying earlier. We place 
people in positions where yeah. they are forced to make decisions about not only their own health, but the health of other people without understanding what the consequence of those decisions could be. You know, while we're talking about this, you know, this one particular case about the Canberra Hospital, you know, and who was facing prosecutions out of it. It's not just the crane driver that faces prosecution. He he was the unlucky person that was charged with manslaughter for killing the other person. So, you know, a manslaughter charge, you know, you don't get out of bed in the morning and go, well, tonight, by, t- by the end of the night... I want to be charged with manslaughter. No, no one does that. So, you know, it, it doesn't kind of happen that way. You know, we go, you're absolutely right, Chris. We get up in the morning and we want to go and perform the job at our best ability possible. Hmm. So can you give us, a, have you got any examples there of what these, what who else got um, punished or penalised or who were the other culprits or should I say culprits or people involved, what they got? Sure. Look, while some of this is still being prosecuted and not everyone has faced their charges yet, the crane driver has. So, you know, um, because of his guilty plea, he was downgraded to a lesser charge of Category 1 from the manslaughter. So, you know, he he did get a, a reward for cooperating and also for testifying against the other companies. So, you know, if, if we now talk about the construction company, the site supervisor was there on the day. So he's now facing a Category 1 charge. So this was the guy that, you know, was backing up to give the crane driver lighting in a ute yep. well. because of the poor lighting on site. The daylight had gone. There was no other light source. So he's he's reversing in front of so the he, crane. So he's reversing in front of a crane with lights on the crane going backwards to, to show give, the to give crane the, driver where to go. To give the crane driver some lighting of where to go. Wow. You know, that, that in itself does not really happen in, in, in the normal day-to-day world. No. At that point in time, you should have said, this is nuts. There's a flag going there somewhere, there, isn't there, there, going, hang on a minute. <laughs> the red flag couldn't have gone any bigger. No, it couldn't know, have been. Couldn't go, it, no. know, I've got a no. car reversing in front of me while I'm driving an, an, an underpowered crane. Yeah, it's definitely a bull running at you, isn't it, while you're holding this red flag and it just doesn't stop. It just keeps going at you. You you know, you think about if the the dogman, right, he also got prosecuted. He's also being prosecuted because he was there. He should have stopped the lift. He is the dogman. He is the person on the ground to say, there's people around. Hmm. You've got people around me, around your equipment, that could get hurt. Hmm. So he's also facing a Category 1 charge. So the interesting thing with this for the viewers out there is this thing's been 11 tonne. It's lifted a metre and a half off the ground. So there's a lever of cable. So this thing starts swaying slightly, doesn't it? Starts moving a little bit as he's driving over this terrain. And as it sways, the warning lights come on. And then all of a sudden it topples over and it kills the crane driver. Well, not only does it sway, but in order to stop the equipment from swaying, you've got four people trying, trying to, to hold, hold, it. On, hold mm. on to it to stop it from swaying and moving in the, and blowing in the breeze, so to speak. So, you know, so the dogman should never have allowed that to occur mm. either. So you now have a site supervisor who is backing his ute up to give this crane light. You've got the dogman allowing four people to hold this piece of equipment steady and 
two of the people that are holding this equipment are crane operators themselves and dogmen. So they know better. And so was this considered in the rules of OH&S a safe lift? No. No. So within the rules, no one would ever consider this a safe safe lift because there was no risk assessment done. There was no um, consultation done. There was no lifting plan. And yet the four people that were holding this thing steady can considered they were conducting a safe lift. So mm. they were holding this thing steady over uneven terrain. So, you know, you've got nighttime, yeah. uneven terrain, soft ground. You've got mountains of dirt on either side of the crane trying to manoeuvre this thing 600 metres down the road. And, you know, overall, these people are now doing this for about 40 minutes before it goes wrong. Mm. Mm. So the alarm just keeps tripping every time something goes wrong with this crane. Every time it goes on uneven ground, the alarm is tripping. And the crane operator is now, uh, you're going on to 7 o'clock at night. So he is in his 13th hour of working, right? So not to mention that he's gotten up, driven to the site. So, you know, that that he, I think fatigue is really starting to kick yeah. in here. And is he still making smart decisions by knowingly turning off the safety warning systems to the mm. point where he turned off the last safety warning system two minutes before the crane toppled over? Oof. So, you know... It's just an awful thing to think that this could be a thing that anyone who listens to this tomorrow could be going to a job site and they've now got to really start thinking about what they actually have to do or what they do do on a job site to avoid them being countable in this situation, to make sure all the OHS things are met. You know, they do a safe work met, uh, procedure. They, they make sure that if they're operating a crane that they do a lifting and they make sure all those sorts of things are in place. That'd be the best thing to do, wouldn't it, in these sorts of cases? It is. You know, if they would have done the risk assessment, the first thing they would have gone is it's poor terrain, the crane's underpowered, and there's poor lighting, and there's not enough experience to do this job, certainly not at that time of the day. Would it have been the same decision at 2 o'clock in the afternoon when you could see what you were up against? Mm. Oh, no, would it have to be a totally different thing because you'd be able to see what was going on and clearer heads, clearer minds, yeah, and less fatigue. Everything. Would, would the driver have made the same decision? Would the crane driver have made the same decision at two o'clock in the afternoon as to what he did at six o'clock at night? Okay, you so know? so who said that they had to move that that night, that day, at that time? Like, why did it have to be done then at six o'clock at night? Why couldn't it be done the next morning? Like, well, that backtracks to a, an earlier conversation between the construction company and the crane company yeah so they were advised at two o'clock in the afternoon we want this piece of equipment in its new position uh before the morning okay and so but they did also did not give them the safe infrastructure to be able to do that so no lighting inexperience yeah moving it further than it had to to go go. yeah over poor terrain yeah. Without a risk assessment. No and lights, yeah, everything. The, the, the irony here is at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, the crane company actually offered them the same piece of equipment that the crane driver did at 5 o'clock at night, going, this would be a more appropriate piece of equipment. So a bigger this. piece of equipment a to do it, yeah. A piece of equipment, a 200-ton crane that could lift it without a worry, 
but the company what the, they the, say the construction company claimed that it was too costly oh so is cost a factor when it comes to health and safety it normally shouldn't be it should be as far as reasonable and practical this was not a, a case of where you could use that argument that it was reasonably practically practical to use an underpowered piece of equipment at night in poor visibility. So do any um, CEOs of this company get prosecuted or any anyone from that company get prosecuted for their role in this? Are they accountable in this sense? They are. So uh, the construction company CEO is facing a Category 2 charge. So What's that? Uh, it's $150,000 yeah. uh, for them personally, for the company itself, uh, up to a million and a half. And, you know, he can have a, the duty holder can have a penalty for 300000 So, you know, the CEO is getting pro, uh, prosecuted because he's a duty holder. Mm. So, you know... He wasn't even there. He wasn't even there. He didn't even know this was going on. He didn't make the decision that it needed to be done there and then that night, and yet he's going to be losing his house. And so this this comes down to making sure that all those, the training then of these people, make sure they follow it all the way down. And so this is partially why he's getting in trouble, because the training of the people at that company, no one followed it, or was there no training at the company to make sure they did follow it? Look. From the training tough side question. of things, tough question because we don't know enough of the history. I, I've only read the uh, the ca- the prosecution notes, the case study notes for the crane driver because the others are still being prosecuted. But what a CEO's responsibility is is to ensure that they have safe systems of work, that someone's making smart decisions, that they're making consultative decisions, that they are doing the risk assessment process before before doing something like this or ordering something like this to be done. Um, the CEO relies on project managers to... Or the health and safety the officer and safety at the job officer. site. Should have done the, his job, shouldn't he? In Correct. That sense. Yeah. They, you know, there was a lot of people that didn't do their job here. The site manager should not should have been more experienced to stop a lift like that. But they, they had the health and safety representative on site who also didn't even induct the person despite the fact that he asked to be inducted. You had two crane operators and a dogman, uh, two dogmen, you know, all making unsafe decisions. So, But the CEO is being personally impacted now, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying just what that it is, is what it's it something is, yeah. that he had no control over, that yeah. someone would make a poor decision that day. You know, it is about knowing what your company does. And, and having good people around you to do it in that sense. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Good people around you. So, you know, when you think about the size of this particular construction company, they probably are one of, you know, Australia's major construction companies. So they're probably running 150, 200 projects at the same time. You cannot possibly expect a CEO to be across all of those. Hmm. However, you would expect that he's got enough people under him to be across all of those projects at the same at, at, at any time. Yeah. So that they know what's going on. They know we're lifting. They might not know the specifics, but they know that there's being operated safely through safety reports, safety statistics. And look, I can't comment on on their safety side of things 
of the business because I don't know enough about the construct this yep. particular construction company, but I do know what goes on at a construction site, and they're usually really quite highly controlled. Ninety percent of what they do is high risk work. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. You know, you know what brings to my attention out of this is, let's speak about the employer in just a small little section of. I'd like to know what employees' rights are when it comes to them saying no. So let's go back as a, as a hypothetical and say he did say no and then they sacked him. Like, I, I'd like to speak to, if there's anyone out there listening, I'd like to speak to a lawyer on this sort of thing to try and go, what, what, would, it, what would their rights be if they said, no, I don't want to do it because it is unsafe? What are the consequences that they experience on the other side of the coin? Look, it's it's a really interesting hypothetical because to in a realistic world, Chris, uh, the guy is a casual employee of this company. I'm not saying it it is or it isn't. You know, he I'm not disparaging the crane company either in this, and, and it may or may not happen. But I, I've worked for so many companies and I've seen it in so many times where a casual employee like that going, well, you've already lost me one contract because you raised a safety concern. You're now losing me a, a major contract mm. because of you've raised another safety concern and refused to do it. So where do you think that conversation would be on the on the Monday morning? It It would be... Don't come Monday. Yeah, sounds like Bill would have been really struggling to try and I think that's what we named him, wasn't yes, it, at the yes, beginning? We called him Bill. Good. Um, I think Bill, and I think any of us in that situation, when you're put to a pressure of trying to decide between your morals of standing up for what is right and a house and a and your house payment and your kids' school fees and everything coming in at the end of that day, and you're standing there pondering that question, and you got to go home and tell your wife, "Look, I've been sacked now because." It was a safety issue and I wouldn't go and do it. And then you get blasted at home. I think everyone's been in a situation where they've got to make a tough choice. It's it's an awful thing to have to consider. Are you going to be up for manslaughter at the end of the day if you don't make the right decision? Correct. And, and you know, and if, if you t- take the, the family and the wife, right, say he gets sacked for, for saying no, mm. right? So now he has potentially lost his job. He may or may not, but you know, say he lost it is his, lost more his job. than likely yeah. to be the, the outcome here for, yeah. for this poor person. So, you know, more than likely, Bill, if he would have said no, he would have been sacked the following day for not following the company values. Mm. Okay. So despite the fact that their company value is probably safety is our number one value, <laughs> but, you know, you are talking a relatively small crane company here who would have this construction company as one of their major um, sources of income. So there's a lot of that pressure going so, around from everyone in that sort of working space, isn't there? Correct. Yeah. So there's a lot of pressure going on. And, you know, even to the site supervisor who told him to go and do the job at four o'clock, knowing that the other crane driver had said that it was an unsafe lift to do. You know, so does the decision actually go back to that person and go, if he would have said no, it's too late at night to do that lift, would things have turned out differently? Hmm. You know, so there's a lot of things. You know, if the owners of the crane company at 2 o'clock in the afternoon would have said to the construction company, no, that equipment is inappropriate and you either pay for the right piece of equipment or go somewhere else to do that lift. So they were being pressured to do that lift despite the fact that they knew that they had equipment that was more appropriate. So is there anything we can give people who are put in that position? Is there any advice you can give someone that... um 
that may come across this? And I'm sure there would be people out there every single day coming across that decision. Is there anything you can suggest from an OHS perspective that they can do to protect their job so that they're not going to be, you know, um, prosecuted for saying no? Is there any advice we can give them? You can't prosecute someone for saying no, right? There is the whole thing called the Fair Work Act. Yeah. Right. But then you can, you'd can you have to lodge a fair work claim and say, say I was uh, terminated for unreasonable uh, reasons. Yeah. So I was terminated because I refused to, you know, do an unsafe practice. And you'll, you'll find that the person will get a comp- compensatory dollar amount for that. Mm. You know, because rightfully he's done the right thing mm. and he's been sacked for all the wrong reasons. Uh, but don't forget that while you're still a casual employee, you can let a person go without giving them a reason. Mm. You know, it's sorry, Bill, it's just not working out for us. We're going to turn part ways here. So, you know, if if he was a permanent employee, you'd kind of have a little bit more ground to stand on. Yeah. But, you know, even in the fair work court, he, he would probably not even be reinstated or get a payment because you have the ability to let go of somebody in a casual position. This bloke was only working for them for six weeks. So, you know, he would, even if he would have been in here as a permanent employee, he would still have been within his probationary period. And even in the probationary period, you don't have to give someone a reason of why you're terminating. It's just, it doesn't work out for us. Well, see, then that makes a hell of a lot of interest why the poor guy went well, I'm going to do the job anyway because if you're in that space, that sort of just gets your mind clicking over why you're going to do it anyway. You 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 gamble on that risk, so to speak. You don't gamble, You definitely don't want to kill anyone, but you gamble on going. I hope I get this right, so I still keep my job. That's right. You do hope you do hope you get it right, so that you do get to keep your job. You know, and you don't consider that this is going to go wrong. No, I'm going to kill someone by the end of the day. You know, he and you know, give the guy his due. He tried. Yeah. He really, you know, he gave it a good. Pressure's on you, man. Poor Bill. The pressure's on poor Bill here to do the job. The pressure was on poor Bill the minute he left the yard to go. You're going to go do this lift at four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. You know this. This should have been stopped far higher up. Hmm. And, you know, when they first assess the job to say, will we do the job, then that's at that point in time where it should have been stopped. And this is why the managing director of the crane company is also facing a Category 2 charge. So, you know, his company is likely to get, you know, up to $1.5 million fine. Personally, he can have a fine of about $300,000. And not only that, all the legal costs that it costs to defend your case. So, again... The managing director probably wasn't the person that went out there to look at the job hmm. to start with. So when we get down to my original question, accountability, a ton of people in this sense, a lot of people here have been accountable because no one, can we say it, have the balls to stand up and go, this is unsafe? Would correct. that be the correct? Yeah. And that's why these people are now in the situation of where they are. So, you know, if you look at it from this way, you've got one, two, three, four, six, seven. Nine people facing a prosecution for an offence that some of them did not even know that was occurring. Mm. 
So they're facing that and they have the potential to lose their home, their family. So, you know, look at the potential impact that, or, or let's look at the impact that it actually had on this poor crane driver. You, you're talking something that happened five years ago. So he was only prosecuted or, or convicted as late as last year. So it went through the courts in about July last year. So that's when he was sentenced to 12 months imprisonment. Mm. You know, that that would be the scariest thing you've ever heard, you know, in a, in a court to go, all I've done is done my job. I was too scared to say no, and yet I'm still getting 12 months imprisonment. Mm. Lucky for me, they're giving me a suspended sentence. But in the meantime, I'm unable to work because I can't get that out of my head, the, the accident. I can't get that picture of the body lying underneath the the the, um, the generator. I can't get it out of my head. I can no longer step inside a crane because I'm so psychologically damaged from it. Yep. And, you know, anytime I suspect that anything is of high-risk work, I put a stop to it, as is my right, my responsibility, my accountabilities and my duties. And yet, on two occasions, I have actually lost employment because of that, post this incident. So, you know, this this family is just going to be destroyed forever. The marriage has fallen apart. The family home has been lost in legal costs. So, and, you know, there's more than one life destroyed here. Yeah, oh, heaps of lives have been destroyed. Everyone, those nine people are all going to suffer in something, especially the unfortunate person that passed away, which is a horrendous thing. And considering that what we lose around 183 people per year, from deaths in Australia, that's one every two days. That's quite a considerable amount of people who are going to be upset, sad, and a lot of lives that are affected by that, which is that's right. And put terrible. yourself, you know, and put yourself into the position of the person that's killed at work. Nobody deserves to be killed in their course of employment oh. for someone else making poor decisions. Yeah, exactly. So, so how are we going for time here, Silky? Do we want to wrap it up? Yes, look, uh, we're at 40 minutes here, so I think it's about time we wrap this up. But it certainly gives us something to discuss about further on the next time that we get together for another recording. And perhaps we can find out some more about what are the consequences of accountability and responsibility and how can we drive those down to the employee. Well, you know, this is the worst case scenario. Think about best case scenario. Uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of those that we will tackle in our next podcast. Yep. yep. If there's anyone out there that has any issues with um, or has any questions they want to ask about WorkSafe, please ring. You can ring a hotline for WorkSafe Australia. You can ring Victoria, Queensland, New South Wales. You can just Google that one. I haven't got the number here in front of me, unfortunately. But if anyone's got any questions or has any concerns about how to deal with these sorts of issues, please give WorkSafe a call because they will be able to help you in their hotline. We always should be able to put that up at some time, I think, on yes. stage. We can, cut, we, we, can, we can add that in. So thanks very much, everyone, for listening out there. Thank you very much, Silky. You are a world of information when it comes to this sort of thing. wish I had that, that knowledge I could just draw on. Unfortunately, I don't. So awesome, awesome stuff. Thanks, Chris. And while we don't want to go into specifics for cases because, you know, neither one of us are lawyers, so, you know, but it is about highlighting the fact that uh, we have to make a decision sometimes in a day that we're not comfortable with. Yeah, and we want to look after ourselves and our family. So I think that that is a crucial thing here. 
That's right. So yeah. until next time. Yeah. Thank you very much, Silky. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening.